I don't know. I think that scaling is a fallacy because, you know, I talked to a couple of these guys that have just huge teams, you know, and, and I've met them through GoBundance and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I've kind of found this niche where like, I really don't have to work that hard to do 60 or 70 deals. I've, I've now got two agents on my team, two admin, and we're looking to hire a third admin. And like, we live comfortably on probably 180K a year. And then I take everything else and I reinvest it into real estate. Cause that's why I got into real estate, right? Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, we have Jordy Clark on with us. I had the pleasure of meeting Jordy at an event in Park City, Utah in January. We were at a GoBundance event where a lot of successful investors hang out, and Jordy and I got the, the pleasure to meet. And then we had someone on our podcast that said, hey, you have to have Jordy on. So I'm super stoked to interview him today. This is a guy that has rental units to the tune of like $60,000 a month, has built some amazing teams, brokered over 750 deals. But when I'm asking him, trying to pull these numbers out, this guy is so humble that he's like, hey, the numbers don't matter. I'm just about building this amazing life. So Jordy, thank you so much for coming on and being humble and being willing to share. Will you kick us off with the craziest real estate story, which I know for you is pretty wild? Yeah, well, first off, thanks thanks for having me on. Thanks for the intro. Um, I, I should hire you to come intro me everywhere I go. <laughs> right on. Yeah, People would probably think a lot more of me then. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, a little, little bit about me. You know, I got started as a real estate agent back in 2014 because I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy my way to, you know, financial freedom. And, um, you know, just kind of went down that rabbit hole, got my realtor's license, started helping a bunch of people buy, sell, and invest. And, uh, yeah, throughout that process, uh, you know, we've, we've helped a lot of families. Uh, we've helped a lot of people, you know, become millionaires or multimillionaires or financially free in the process, which, you know, that's, that's more important to me uh, than, you know, all, all the accolades. And, you know, at, at some of the brokerages I've been at, I get awards and, you know, at previous brokerages that, you know, they'd make a big deal out of it. And I'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, like, let me get back to work. Um but the, the, throughout that process, the, the craziest story, I helped a client uh, buy, this is a foreclosure sale. Um, it, it was back when foreclosures were a thing, which they're totally going to come back and I'm super excited for it. But um, I think it's 2016, maybe. So, you know, by this time I'd done uh, mid 100s, maybe a couple hundred transactions, right? So. I, I was helping people buy and I had one repeat client and he bought uh, this house at a trustee sale. So it was a foreclosure auction. And, um, you know, I had kind of connected with some of the guys that they go to the courthouse every single day and they're bidding on everything. And I had worked out a deal with them where I'm like, hey, call me up when you get a deal uh, that you'd take for yourself and their agents too. And they were kind of doing this for other agents. I just built the relationship and um, kind of worked my way into relationship with them. Right. So I was like, Hey, we'll, we'll get you a paid a commission. Um, you know, and I'll try to get the hard money place with you cause they went hard money too. And they're like, yeah, we do that for other people. We'll do it. We'll add you to our very short list. Right. Cause normally at 
auctions, foreclosure auctions, if you bid on it, you have to take, you know, at least here in Utah, you have to take a $20,000 non-refundable check to bid. That's a lot. And then if you're successful, they take that check. It's non-refundable. And then the even harder part is you've got to fully fund whatever you bid on by the next business day. So usually, you know, you can't go to normal hard money lenders because uh, they require time. They want to underwrite the deal. Um, they want to pull title. They want to make sure nothing funky is going on. And um, the upside is it filters out a lot of competition. So, you know, I mean, they probably have maybe 10 or 15 guys in a metro area of, you know, a million plus people. Um, and then, you know, there's the subset that are actually investors and then the smaller subset that are actually serious. Um, and, you know, I happen to work my way in with these guys. So anyways, uh, all of this will make sense as I tie the story together. We, they called me and they're like, hey, we got this sweet deal. It's a high-end luxury home, which at the time luxury for us was like, this, this ARV was like 750. So they were like, we got the house, it was some crazy number, like 450 or something. And so there was a ton of spread. It was a big house, like 5,000 square feet. It had a huge detached garage and it was in a great neighborhood. Um, I actually uh, kind of regret not buying the house for myself to live in because it would have been awesome. But anyways, so I called up one of my, I called three of my clients that I knew they were looking for houses like this. And I said, you know, here's all the details. Well, one of them uh, was like, hey, I'll take it. So he bought it. We, we kind of worked everything out where, you know, got it put together. He closes on it. And we go knock on the door, you know, the day after he wired money, we got the recorded deed. Um, and we went over there and knocked on the door and said, you know, hey, we just want to let you guys know you've been foreclosed on. We kind of wanted to work out, you know, a cash for keys situation or something. It was this young kid that opens the door and um, he's like, oh, wow, we're, we're just renting. And so started getting, you know, weirder because he was like, you know, I'm, I need to call, you know, my attorney and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay, like, cool. Here's our number. Uh, let's kind of work this out. Um, cause we will go the eviction route, but we don't want to. And most of the time people are like, okay, you know, like either if they got foreclosed on, they know they got foreclosed on. Um, or usually if someone's renting, they know that the house is in foreclosure um, in, in some way, shape or form. So the tenants are usually pretty good at working something out. You know, you give them a month and a couple thousand bucks and they'll, they'll give you the keys. Well, we tried to work that out with him and he just was like, became non-responsive. So after like two weeks of trying and, you know, he, he like respond just enough that we'd be like, well, I don't know. So I kind of let my client just take over cause he's a savvy enough investor. I was like, yeah, he, he owns a bunch of rental properties. Um, he actually is one of the, one of my original mentors that got me into real estate, funny enough. Awesome. Um, so I was like, yeah, he, he's got this right. Um, well, he'd call me and update me every week on kind of what was going on. And it comes out that these guys had been in foreclosure since like 2007. And this is 2016. Okay. So, yeah, it was like 2016, 2017, like not that long ago. So they were in foreclosure for almost a decade. 
right? And and we didn't know any of that because, of course, we just like bought it at auction and uh, maybe didn't do as much due diligence as we could have. But what they what they had been doing for the last almost decade was was this whole uh, polygamist group, and you know they would just grab some random person that was over the age of eighteen and throw them on, you know, like give them like one eighteenth of one percent ownership in the house, like whatever the legal minimum is um, to to stop a foreclosure. Uh, via bankruptcy. So then they'd throw this random person on for whatever small equitable portion and and then that person would claim bankruptcy. And and they did this enough that, you know, like, and, and the minute you throw bankruptcy in foreclosure uh, proceedings, it like stops everything. So they just kept throwing these people on and just messing with the bank and, you know, doing all of this stuff. And the more and more like we dug into it after he bought the house, of course, and he was going through the, the eviction process um, because they started doing that to him when he was trying to evict. Like all of a sudden somebody new would answer the door and they're like, no, 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 that person doesn't live here. I've lived here the whole time. Right. And, and so it kind of became like this cat and mouse game. And, and finally, like we dug into the, the title history deep enough that we found out, I think it was Bank of America, uh, that had, they had filed suit on that house, basically saying, we know what you're doing. And this is after like seven years of delaying foreclosure. Like we know what you're doing. You, you can no longer claim bankruptcy and avoid foreclosure. It, this house will foreclose. And, and that was just a few months before it actually for, got foreclosed on. They had to start the process all over again. The attorney explained it to me and it was, I was like, holy cow, I had no idea. But these guys would literally just like, they, they had this going on like five or six other houses. We found out because, um, you know, I started watching the houses that were going to foreclosure more closely and we'd start seeing the same names in, in the title history. And so, you know, we could put two and two together and I'd be like, oh yeah, don't buy that house because we know the game they're playing. Right. So at the end of the day, like it took him probably twice as long as it should have to get possession of the house. And he ended up doing a great job on the remodel, um, you know, getting it fixed up. He sold it, made, made some money. You know, we, we relisted it for him and salvaged the relationship. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was the craziest chain of events. And like, it, it was just one of those stories that just like kept getting worse and worse the deeper you got into it. That's nuts. So like these people end up in jail. Like do you have any clue what happened to them? I mean, this is, this is a pretty orchestrated crime operation. It sounds like. Yeah. I have no clue. No clue what happened to them. That's Cause I just like, you know, it'd be interesting to go back and try to find out, but I just haven't put any energy into it. Fair enough. I just, you know, focus on what I focus on. Totally. Well, and that's one of the reasons you're so successful because, you know, this is a crazy story, years worth of headache. And I know a lot of it was, you know, your investor was handling, but, but obviously you have a mentality of putting things behind you moving forward. Tell, give us a little bit of, you know, sense of your journey. Like you can't, you got in the business in 2014. What does it look like to get up to 750 brokered homes, 60 K a month in, in rental income? Yeah, that, great question. So um, I started out on a team because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, 
in 2014, I was 24 years old. So I was just like, you know, college dropout. I actually was going to college at night and I was making so much as a realtor. Um, like I clearly remember I was making well over six figures. Um, and you know, I'm going to school at night because for my whole life I've been told you got to go to school, get good grades, get a good degree to be successful. Um, so I'm talking to like some of my classmates in these upper echelon, like final classes. Like, I think I'm like six classes away from a bachelor's degree in business. And I'm talking to my classmates and peers and they're like, oh yeah, I got this job. I'm making 45 grand a year. And they're just super pumped. And I'm like, I'm making like double what you guys are making. And like, this, this doesn't make sense. Right. So I like, I was like, oh, I'm going to take a semester or two off and see what this real estate thing does. Um, and at that time, the, the real estate team I was on, uh, they had an unfortunate accident with one of their sons. They were older. They kind of started in real estate in like 2005 and kind of sold. And then, you know, everything in 08 happened. And then they started buying rental properties all the way down and back up again. And I was referred to them by a family friend of ours who was like, hey, these people have helped me buy a bunch of rentals. You, get, you should go sell for them. So anyways, they had an unfortunate accident and their son, who was about my age, passed away. And so they pretty much were like, hey, we're done with the real estate. Like we've got enough passive income that we can retire comfortably. And, uh, you know, we'll just, we're going to be done. So I kind of had a decision to make and I made the decision, well, I'm just going to go off on my own rather than keep sharing the commission with someone who wasn't going to continue to mentor me. Um, I'll just go start my own team. So started our own team and uh, I partnered up with a gal that I probably shouldn't have partnered up with in hindsight, just because we weren't aligned as far as like what the end result was going to be. And we weren't equally yoked, meaning like we weren't doing the same job. And, you know, as I see this a lot with real estate teams, you'll partner up for various reasons. And then one person isn't generating revenue and the other one is. Well, revenue generation in real estate is worth way more than anything else. Administration, right? so client servicing. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Like we kind of came to a point after a few years where like we, I was just realizing this isn't working out. Um, and, and at that point, you know, we were, we were selling just over a hundred homes a year with our sales team. We had a couple of admin, we had like six different agents on our team and like, I wasn't making any money because we were spending 20 or 30 grand a month in pay-per-click, just like doing kind of everything that, you know, you go to, you go to a real estate conference and they've got all the vendor booths and everyone's trying to sell you, you know, the $3,000 a month CRM and all these different things. And like, I didn't realize it, but we were expensing all of our profit away in the name of trying to grow. So it was kind of at that point where, you know, we kind of came to a head where I was like, look, I, I'm making no more. Um, I think this was in 2000, end of 2017. I was like, I'm making no more than when I was an agent on a team with zero responsibility and risk. Like, this isn't right. So we kind of mutually agreed like, hey, 
I'm going to buy her out. I'm going to just go and, and run the show and do everything. And um, it was that point in time where I cut everyone but one other agent and I cut all our admin. And we had just gotten into a relationship with a builder and they'd just hire us for one subdivision at a time. And, you know, we'd go in and sell the subdivision, but they wouldn't, they didn't care what other resale business we did. So I'd go and help other investors buy rental properties, buy flips. And then, you know, I started flipping myself, but we kind of stripped everything out of our business that cost us money. Um, and we were, I just like, I was doing transaction coordination. I was inputting everything to the MLS. I was doing everything. And then, you know, my other agent was helping me sell. So, um, from there, we kind of started adding stuff back in based on more of an organic growth. And I mean, we were still selling like 60 homes a year, just me and him, um, with no admin, nothing else. And it was a grind for a couple of years. And then before you, before you like, go on, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So give us an example. Cause I've went through this journey too. I went from successful agent to building a team doing everything everybody says, quadrupling revenue and not increasing profits like almost at all. So give us a picture. Like what is, what is your revenue profit look like with 60 homes, you and this guy compared to what did it look like as a team leader? Oh, I mean, I, I tripled my profit. Yeah. You're selling 60 so, houses. You're making five, 600 K a year, probably gross commissions are more. And you're probably taking home what three, 400 of that. Yeah, it was probably 250, 300. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my, my buyer's agent was making, like, he's, he's, he's been with me since uh, 2017. So it's been five years. And, I mean, he hasn't made less than six figures in a year since 2018. Um, and it, it's a great gig for him. He just does what he wants to do. And, you know, I, I just help him out. I've spoon fed him leads and he runs with it. So, yeah, it, it was nice because I was like, well, look, like the whole reason I got into real estate was to make more money than I could just punch in a time clock somewhere, right? Um, and I knew I could do it. I just had to strip out all of our expenses that were cutting our profit to zero. So so I want to dive yeah. in this a little bit deeper because you, you've been in there. You've been in the, you know, the thick of it. What are the expenses that the industry is promoting that most teams get killed by that once you stripped, like what were the things that were not working for you guys? I mean, Facebook, uh, pay-per-click, Google pay-per-click, Zillow leads, realtor.com leads, just all of the technology that's supposed to make our lives easier, right? And then what ends up happening, or at least this is my experience of what happened to us is you know, I'd have all these agents like, hey, give me leads, give me leads, give me leads. And then they'd call the lead once, the lead wouldn't pick up. And then they're like, oh, it's a crappy lead. And I'm like, I just spent 20 grand this month on leads. Like, how can you tell me this is crap? There's got to be something in there. We're just not following up enough. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think that is a lot of it. It's just like lead generation. It's, it's probably the hardest thing to do. Right. And so it's, it's the thing that none of us want to do as real estate agents. <laughs> totally. Like who wants to hop on the phone and just grind it out and get told no 300 times. Like I hate real estate agents. You suck from all the for sale by owners. No one wants to do that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So after your experiences that you've had, that you've just displayed essentially, what model would you recommend to somebody that's looking to scale? Well, I, I, I don't know. I think that scaling is a fallacy because, you know, I talked to a couple of these guys that have just huge teams, you know, and, and I've met them through GoBundance and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I've kind of found this niche where like, I really don't have to work that hard to do 60 or 70 deals. I've, I've now got two agents on my team, two admin, and we're looking to hire a third admin. And like, we live comfortably on probably 180 K a year. And then I take everything else and I reinvest it into real estate because that's why I got into real estate. Right. Um, so like for me, I, I really don't want to add 30 agents to my team and then have all of this risk. And you know, like when the market shifts or something like you just have to constantly stay on top of it, which there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But for me, I'd rather go to more of an organic, like repeat referral based business where, you know, I'm calling up and having a relationship um, with all of my past clients. I stay in touch with them. We host client appreciation events. Like we just had a photos with Santa event and, you know, the turnout wasn't phenomenal because it was like snowing that night, but we had like 10 families come and every family that came, like they spent 30 minutes there. We were just chit chatting, having a great time. They got pictures with Santa and like a couple of them texted me days after and they're like, holy cow, thank you so much. Right. Well, when you have that kind of a relationship with someone, even if it's only 10 people and you talk to them a couple times a year and Oh, by the way, who, you know, that's looking to buy, sell or invest in real estate that I should have on my radar in the next year. And then all of a sudden, like you get a lead and you go and sell them that house and make a $15,000, $20,000 commission, right? But you paid almost nothing for that lead. What you're paying is time in a relationship. And I just realized when I stripped everything out of my business, like we kind of kept doing the same amount of business, but we just had none of the expenses and we enjoyed it a heck of a lot more. So as that's kind of grown, I've now gotten to the point where we're like, okay, I should be adding another admin in to do all of this stuff so that I can be freed up to have more conversations on the phone with our clients, right? So I can be more of a consultant, help people build real estate portfolios versus, you know, try and find a for sale by owner that's ready to list with a realtor, right? Because the, the, the value to me, to a client that is going to transact six or seven times in the next decade with me is way higher than any sort of a, a paper lead click, right? So we just kind of found out that works for us and, and just ran with it. So we, we use it, you know, if anyone's familiar with Buffini and company, um, I've been coaching with them for a few years and like, just, we just implement that the best we can. We're not perfect at it. Um, you know, we'd probably grow a lot more if I was better at it, but I'm also investing a ton in real estate, which is what I'm passionate about. So. This is absolutely brilliant. First off, I love that you said scaling is a fallacy because, you know, there's so many broker owners and things like that that I've spoken with and they built these huge teams and, and bottom line, like they're making a ton of money on paper, but like they're only taking home like 20 grand a year <laughs> after scaling so big because it becomes an expense and an expense over and over again. 
Um, I love that you're focused on on relationship building. Um, and you also mentioned something that was very important. Like you're targeting multiple transactions a year with the relationships that you're building. So could we dive a little bit deeper into that? What type of relationships do you think agents should be focused on building? Well, I, I think it boils down to what they want to do. Like I am not the guy that's going to go and help every first time home buyer on the planet. I just, after someone complains about wall color being the wrong shade of gray, like, I'm just like, Hey guys, I'm out. Like, if you don't like the wall color, paint it. <laughs> um, so like, it doesn't work for me, but I know other agents who just kill it with first time home buyers. Right. So I just kind of found a niche where, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an investor first and an agent second personally. And I want to help other people who want to invest in real estate. Uh, we, we definitely service and give great, you know, care to people who are just selling their house or selling and moving up or selling and moving down. Like we will still handle them best we can. Right. But I really get fired up about like, I've got some clients right now. They're leaving the first house that they bought. And they're going and buying another rent uh, house and making that first one a rental property, right? Well, I get super excited to hop on the phone with them for 45 minutes and talk through strategy and, hey, let's do this. Hey, let's do that. Hey, let's look at what returns are going to be and, and think through a 10-year horizon with them versus, you know, like trying to explain somebody, hey, this is how you get a loan. Or, or you get the home inspection report back and they're freaking out about a $15 item and they want to cancel the deal. Yeah, I hear you on that. So I love this because this kind of goes into the concept of return on energy. So the way that I hear you describing it, and correct me if I'm not seeing this correctly, is you will spend as much time or more with an investor than and be happy about it than with a home buyer because it aligns with your passion, right? So it's is that it's not really the amount of time you want to give a client. It's really more like how do I feel energetically and otherwise after working and then just narrow your your focus to those those avatars. Yeah, because, you know, as, as much as we all want to, you know, make seven, eight figures a year, um, our time is finite, right? Like, I was just talking to my wife about this before we hopped on the podcast. Like, I've got three little kids, and sometimes I stack my plate with too much going on, right? And, um, like, we only have so much time, and, you know, we have to sleep a certain amount. Like, I've got to be present with my kids and wife a certain amount. I've got to be, you know, a, a business owner, a realtor, an investor, a certain amount. Like we only have so much time. So I, I'd rather spend that time doing what I want. And, and that's kind of how I've intentionally built my life. And it's, it's ever changing and ever growing as I grow as a person that like, Hey, what worked last year isn't going to work next year. Like I got to tweak these few things. And, you know, like you've got to be very aware of that energy exchange because if you're doing something that doesn't align with where you want to go and who you want to show up as and who you want to become, then you're never going to get there because that energy is going to suck the life out of you so much that like, you're never going to get there. hundred percent. So when you put yourself in a position that, that you can steer your ship where you want to go, all of a sudden, like everything just gets easier. Absolutely love this. And you are so strategic about certain things, which is, which is awesome. 
one of the things you mentioned on our pre-call was essentially how your goals for next year. And I loved how reasonable they were in the sense that like they're attainable and yet how specific. So you had mentioned, we want to increase the price of what we do by 5%. We want to increase our, you know, the, the sales price of the homes and increase our commission by 0.5%. So can you give us some clarity on like why those numbers and like, how does that move the needle for you guys? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So uh, I, I just got done with my coach doing business planning for next year. And I, I looked at what we did this year. And at first glance, I'm like, hey, we had a banger year, right? Like highest GCI we've ever done. My net profit is great. I bought a ton of rental properties. Like I'm enjoying it. Um, and so I was like, look, if I can do this next year. And, and there's a couple of things we're tweaking in our business. Like we have one repeat client, um, the builder I mentioned before that, you know, we're, we're, we're evaluating our relationship there. So I, I go, okay, well, if we're no longer going to represent them for a season, uh, or forever, I don't know what that looks like. Um, what do I have to do to replace that business? And, I started getting a little worried, but my coach was like, okay, well, let's look at how many units and revenue they were versus your overall. And when he broke it down for me, the first thing I said was, oh, I totally thought it was way more revenue than it was. So then in my mind, I'm like, well, gosh, it's going to be easier than I thought if we want to modify, you know, and, and focus on more investors and no builder. So... Um, from there, we just kind of worked backwards into, I said, Hey, I think it, it would be a win if we did the same number of units, uh, without the consistency of having a subdivision to sell in while we're helping other investors. So basically that's, that's what I set the unit goal. And then I was like working with my coach and he, he said, well, is your commission going to be higher or lower than what the builder's paying you? And you know, part of the reason I've been able to build a, a big rental portfolio is as I've been sitting at the builder, I was flipping homes and all of the profit from the flips, I just plowed into rental properties because I was like, hey, I'm just going to live on what the builder gives us and and everything I make above and beyond that, like we're just going to plow it into rental real estate. And it, it's worked great for the last few years. So I, I was really nervous about moving away from them. And, you know, talking about that energy exchange, like it's just not there, like it was five or six years ago for me. And that was a question so, I was going to have too. And you, you're kind of answering it. And I'd love to get more clarity on if there's more to it. So, so the return, the energy started leaving. Can you give more, maybe more context? What did you love about working with the builder? What were you excited to give up? So I love the consistency and the fact that like we had this brand new product that everyone wanted, like people were coming to the model which is, you know, not typical. Most of the time, you know, it's agents showing houses, and, but we'd have people just coming straight in and we were able to help them. Um, and like everyone loves the idea of a new home. The, the problem and where the energy disconnect has just kind of grown year over year over year is, you know, people are buying these brand new houses and it doesn't matter if it's a $300,000 house or a $900,000 house. When they go through the final walkthrough, there's maybe half of the buyers that are just dissatisfied because they feel like the level of construction, the quality 
is not what it should be because they're spending X amount of dollars. And I've heard it at $200,000. I've heard it at $900,000. And, you know, someone's like, I'm spending 200 grand on this house. It needs to be perfect or 750, like half a million bucks, like whatever it is. And like the builder was just like, hey, it is what it is, right? And we'd try to make the the buyers happy. And so, you know, we'd give concessions or, you know, I, I'd be in there painting little paint touch-ups because the painters wouldn't come back and I wanted them to be happy. And it just kind of got to a point where I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like it's a drain on my energy. You, you've got half of these people that are happy with the quality, which by the way, they're very nice houses. Um, just people, people think it's going to be perfect because it's new, right? The reality is there's 30 different subcontractors that have touched that house and they all do something slightly different and they're working with imperfect materials. Like no house is perfect. So some people just will never get that though. So like we just, I just decided like, I just want to focus on helping more people invest versus help people buy these houses. And um, just as my family's growing on a personal level, it, it doesn't really fit anymore because I now have three young kids you know, the builder wants us to be there six days a week, nights and weekends. And like, that's the whole reason I got into not working with buyers was I wanted my nights and weekends back. Um, so just a couple of different things that, you know, just weren't in alignment anymore. Or, yeah. Perfect answer. I love how you mentioned alignment too, because that's one of the most important parts of the entrepreneurial journey in general. And you also mentioned investor first, agent second. And I really want to dive into this because I would love for the audience to, to learn more about this because me and Matt are both firm believers in the same exact strategy. So um, to a realtor out there that is not thinking in the same capacity, what would you tell to them to get them to kind of um, see the light at the end of the tunnel there? You know, I, I know a couple of agents and God bless them. They've been an agent for 60 years and they have to continue to be an agent because they have no retirement. So if, if you think about if, if you as an agent buy one house a year, just one, you put it on a 30 year fixed mortgage and let's just pretend it breaks even. There's no cash flow, ex expenses happen, water heaters go out, whatever. Well, you're in this industry and you're probably referring plumbers to people. You're probably referring electricians. So like, you know, all of the trades, you get the repairs on a, on a negotiation done. And then your client goes, Hey, what's a good handyman, you know, uh, you know, and then you plug them in there. So, you know, all the trades anyways. And if you, if you buy one house a year for the next 10 years in 40 years, you're going to start having these houses paid for free and clear. And that rent, those renters will have paid it down. Oh, and by the way, you can probably, if you self-manage, talk to your tenants and sell them houses, right? Because if, if we believe in home ownership, then we don't really want tenants to be tenants forever. We want them to buy a house. So there's all of a sudden, uh, you know, leads for you is, you know, you can bring them a Thanksgiving pie and say, hey, thanks for being my tenant uh, and paying down my mortgage, but you might as well be paying down your own mortgage uh, if you buy with me, I'll tear your lease up for free, right? And then you, you're you building your retirement while you're still helping other people. 
and it will compound, right? So if all of a sudden you start having 15 rental properties and, you know, a, uh, uh, someone comes to you and says, hey, I want to buy a rental. You say, well, that's great. I know a lot about rentals. I own 15 of them. You're able to speak with that because you've got the experience, right? So, and it helps a lot of times because if you go on a listing presentation and this house is a hoarder house, well, you know, there's no way they're getting absolute top dollar for it. And there's a problem there that you can help solve gracefully and tactfully. And I've bought a few of these houses and I still keep in touch with the people that sold them to me because they hired me or they called me to help me sell it. <coughs> Excuse me. And when I go through, hey, you're going to have to de-junk all of this. Like, we're going to have to get rid of all of this. You know, a lot of the times, like, it's just not feasible for them. Well, I can come in and give them a reasonable cash offer that most other investors would give them. And I can give them time, time to move out, time to clear out what they want, leave what they don't want. And then I can send people in and, and fix the problem. I can trash out the house. I can fix it up, you know, and I can make that a great rental property. So if you're an agent that's not investing, well, the questions I have for you is why aren't you believing in what you're selling more than just your primary house, right? Because this is a phenomenal way to build a retirement. I could, I, I'm 32 years old. I have enough rental properties and passive income coming in that if I didn't want to work another day in my life, I wouldn't have to. That's it, baby. hundred percenter. Like anyone can get there in five years or less. I don't care if you're 65, if you're 50, like it doesn't, age doesn't matter. And you know, some people may be saying, oh, well, I don't believe that. Well, why haven't you bought rentals and why haven't you invested? Because if our job as realtors is to improve the community by giving good housing and, you know, we can add value to housing. Like there's so much we can do as agents. We might as well be in investing in our own stock. Like we, we shouldn't be investing in Wall Street because we're real estate professionals. We should be investing in what we're competent in. 100%. So let's dive into a couple questions. So one... You had the opportunity, you're, you're working with this builder, you as a team leader and a business owner, you're entrepreneurial in your mind, have all these different ways you can build business. You want to break away from the builder to get the time back. Why break away as opposed to hiring somebody that runs that thing? And I'm not asking you that like you should be doing that. I'm, I'm more asking like you obviously made the decision not to. So, so give us the insight as, as to the, how that decision went down. Yeah, that's a great question. I actually tried that. Oh, cool. A couple, a couple of times. <laughs> nice. Um, the, the nice thing about this builder is they gave me flexibility. So they were like, look, you can sell anything that's not competing with us. So, and really they didn't want me taking a lead that walks through the door and walking across the street and selling them the competition's house. Right. But they knew that they're not a big enough builder that they can keep me busy full time. Like sometimes we'll have six or nine month gaps where we're not in a subdivision. And so they don't necessarily want to be guaranteeing salaries if the market turns or they do, you know, half the subdivisions or whatever. So they just basically came up with this and, you know, I just found them through prospecting. Um, and I was like, Hey, that actually might work for our business. Well, the downside to them being that flexible is they wouldn't give on other areas. And those other areas are, they hired me, they want me. 
So it, it was near impossible for me to hand the baton off, if you will, to somebody else. And I tried and uh, it just it just didn't work twice. So I'd rather salvage the relationship and end on a good note with them and just wrap it up and say, hey guys, this was a great ride. Thank you. I respect you guys for everything you're doing. Uh, I'm just going to go do something that's a little bit different. Love it. Um, versus like totally burn the boats and just be like, I'm done. Um, because, you know, in all fairness to them, like they provided me the stability I needed to start investing in real estate. Yeah. So, you know, out, out of respect for that relationship, that that's why I was like, well, you know, if this isn't going to work where we can just, you know, stick newer agents in there and they handle it, uh, then, you know, we'll just, we'll go our separate ways and call it. Awesome. I really uh, like and appreciate how you've structured your mindset around the way your income is coming in. So you talk about the builder is kind of like, it's almost the W2 of being a real estate agent. It's that security blanket. And then you have the flips and you've defined for yourself that your flipping money becomes your buying money. So it's very clear in your mind that, hey, I make this money for this purpose so that it doesn't all come in and you know, increase, like have lifestyle creep, that type of thing. Can you talk about the process with which you develop that and why that has been so beneficial to you? Yeah, it, it was way less strategic than I think you made it sound. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the, the first house I flipped was in 2015 because I failed to save up enough money to pay my taxes from all my income I made in 2014 when I was a genius making, you know, way more than my peers who were graduating college. So I flipped the house. We, we paired up with a, a cash partner who paid cash for the house. You know, I did a lot of work myself on, on nights and weekends before uh, we had kids. And um, I, I, frankly, I had a $40,000 tax bill I needed to pay. So I was like, this is the quickest way. This is a good deal. I know I can fix this up. I know it's worth this. I flipped it. We paid our taxes. And then I looked at my wife and I was like, that was a lot easier than saving up all year to pay taxes. Like we should do that again. And she's <laughs> like, I agree. And I was like, well, if we do that again, we might as well do two next year. And that second one, we'll take that cash and we'll go and buy a rental property. And, and so we kind of stumbled into it because I was uh, not financially literate enough to pay taxes. I love that. You just learn learn from the and so many people go through that where it's like the goal is to get successful and then it's like the bonus is you get this humongous tax bill that you're not not expecting and then it, yeah then you have to solve a whole other problem. Well, and and there's levels to that too, right? Like I yeah, we we made a ton of money last year and just because I've become literate in finances and the tax code, I found out um like, hey, if, if you buy, you know, small multifamily deals, and there's a way that you can depreciate them. And as a real estate professional, I can offset my active income. And so, you know, uh, we're actually for the first time in like six years, seven years. No, first time in like a decade, I'm getting a tax refund from last year. Because I bought so much real estate and took cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation that offset all of my active income. 
And now, you know, I'll, I'll probably have to pay the piper sooner. Uh, well, sometime down the, the road future. when you sell. Yeah. But yeah, when we sell, but I think there's strategies then, mm -hmm. you know, we can 1031 change. And a, a lot of my friends in these bigger circles I've gotten into in bigger rooms, you know, the, the saying is, look, you can either write a check to the IRS or you can write a check to the title company. Which one do you want? <laughs> Love it. So for me, I'd rather write a check to a title company and own something that's going to go up in value as our dollar goes down in value. That we're going to be able to collect more in rents next year versus less in rents. And you know, I'd rather do that and play that whole game than just willingly hand over tons and tons and tons of money to the government that's just going to send it to Ukraine. <laughs> absolutely man um i love how you mentioned you just you had this big tax bill and you're just like boom we're gonna flip a house problem solved um <laughs> a lot of people would look at that situation a lot differently um did the pressure from that situation drive you to find the solution and did that motivate you or let's kind of dive into that like was the pressure good or was it bad well i think it depends on how you look at it i i look at it like it was good pressure um, you know, there's a, a saying I learned at Keller Williams, no pressure, no diamonds. And you can't make a diamond without pressure, right? So, you know, you can definitely get stressed out about the pressure and, or you can like just say, well, this is what it is. Like, what am I going to do about it? And what can I do? And then figure it out, right? So, I mean, that's kind of what we did. And, um, yeah, it just, it worked out. Love it. Given that you're a hundred percenter. And given the fact that, I mean, you could do whatever you want within probably some reason, how do you structure your time? How do you structure your freedom? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, you know, I still try to work like a 40 hour work week. Um, I, I, I try to spend time with my family. Um, and it's, again, it's like kind of ever growing, but I really enjoy what I'm doing. Um, so I'd like to continue you know, I'm, I just don't want to work 120 hours a week. Um, so like I'll work what I want to want to work. Um, and, and that's tough too, because I went to lunch with a friend yesterday and we were talking about this where like, you know, there's some days that I feel guilty if I'm not in the office. Uh, when like in all reality, um, I'm, I'm in a program called strategic coach and in that they teach you, and this is totally true of real estate professionals, like we are paid based on the results we get, not based on the number of hours that we work. And that's hard for me to reframe because like I'm, I'm an average guy. My mom's a nurse. My dad is a contractor. Like I grew up framing houses and doing stucco um, mm -hmm. when I was 16, you know, and, and mowing lawns. Like there's nothing special or sexy about what I do. Um, but it's, it's also like, you know, yes, I'm a hundred percenter, but it mentally, I'm like, well, I don't want to take any of that cash flow and live off of it. I'd rather reinvest it, which is why I keep working. Um, because, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like I, I don't just want to live a very small life, right? Like the bigger my life gets, the more opportunity that means for other people that are in our the more opportunity I can give to agents on my team, admin on our team. You know, we, we own a home staging company and we give opportunities to people there. 
And, you know, we're now in the process of franchising that staging company, and that's going to give people opportunities to get what we've got. And, you know, we help other people buy rental properties. So it's kind of this, like, it just feeds on itself, right? And and you have to like uh, put like limits and boundaries and I'm not anywhere close to perfect. Um, I'm working on it though. And, you know, I just listened to a couple different podcasts and both of them happened to be interviewing Rob Deerdick. And I remember him from like Fantasy Factory, like Robin Big when I was growing up. And um, he, you know, he's, he's just such a inspiration to me. Um, and then when you hear about how he has evolved and grown and, you know, just, he puts these things in place and I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try that. I'm going to put that into, you know, our rituals and our routines. And really like, I think the most important thing is the fact that we're just trying to design a life that, you know, we don't necessarily need to retire from. Like, I want to constantly be doing what I want because I look at, you know, like, two 65 year olds and one of them has just exited a job that he's hated for 40 years. And then one of them is doing what he loves. And, and I've had this experience this year where I saw both of these avatars and the one that has doing what he loves looks 20 or 25 years younger. He has so much more energy. He's so much more like vitalized. And like, that's who I aspire to be when I'm 65. I don't want to be the guy that's like, well, I'm going to go, you know, live on my 1200 bucks that I'm getting from social security a month. And, um, you know, like that person, I think dies a premature death. They're the person that dies at 40 and isn't buried until 80. And, and I just don't want that to be me. So we're, we're just constantly working on doing that. And I think every year is a little different. So such on point, we were having a conversation in our NorCal tribe, uh, in our last meeting. And it was so incredible because they were talking about these guys that have retired and they're playing golf every day. And so one of the, one of a GoBundance guys was talking to him and they're complaining about their hips hurting and about the conditions of the golf course. And it's all complaining. And he mentioned to him, and I thought this was awesome. He actually said it. He was like, Hey, look, is this what the conversations are like with you guys? You know, is this what retirement looks like? Cause I want nothing to do with that. You know? Um, so kudos to you, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, no, and that's that's really interesting. I, um, you know, on my podcast, I interviewed Rich Fetke, and you know, he he's probably where most people retire, right? But he's like grinding out there on his mountain bike, and he's surfing, and he's mountain climbing, and he's skiing. Like, you know, well, and like that's that's who I want to be in thirty or forty years. Like, I, so, anyways. But I also am, am aware and cognizant, like I do have some freedom and flexibility right now. And, you know, I've got a really good friend who he used to be in my GoPod in GoBundance and then um, he just had a lot going on. So he didn't renew with GoBundance, but I'm still really good friends with him. And, you know, I mean, he's a hundred percenter and he still works on his business a little bit, but he's like, he is super, super fit, like dialed in. And he does what he wants, when he wants, with who he wants. And, you know, like that's, that's the life I'm trying to create. And so, you know, yeah. So awesome. Dude, this is absolutely tremendous. I don't know if there's a better mic drop ending than design a life that you don't need to retire from. Um, Jordy Clark, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business. And to those of you out there chasing freedom, you could be free in five years or less. 
Consider being an investor first and an agent second. Build your retirement while helping other people. Your tenants are leads. Go out there and get them. Tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable and take massive action. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next one.